I watched The Golden Chance from 1915. This is the second film directed by Cecil B. DeMille that I've watched, and I'm even more impressed this time around. More so even than D.W. Griffith, DeMille is demonstrating this immediate intuitive grasp of the potential of film. When I first began compiling the list of films that I'm working through for this project, a list, by the way, that is available to paid subscribers online, that's my big perk, but when I started compiling it, I saw that DeMille's second directorial effort was the first film version of Brewster's Millions, and I was keen to watch it. Unfortunately, that film has been lost, so I'm only ever going to be able to wonder how Edward Abelus, if that's how to pronounce it, fared in the role of Montgomery Brewster. And I'm going to assume his portrayal isn't on par with either Dennis O'Keefe or Richard Pryor's, and I'll leave it at that. But if The Golden Chance, DeMille's follow-up to The Cheat, which I talked about a couple episodes ago, is any indication, I might be wrong, because these two movies are great. The Golden Chance was one of 14 films that DeMille directed in 1915. And since it hit the theaters on December 30th, you might think it was the last one he made that year, but nope. Once The Golden Chance was in the can, he went to work on Temptation, which was also released on the 30th. And I know I bring this up a lot, but I don't know how some of these directors did it. These are not simple, short films, yet DeMille managed to get a masterpiece like The Cheat into theaters on December 13th and still have it in him to knock out two more before the year was done. And I can't speak to the quality of Temptation. It's a lost film, but I assume it was excellent based on the other two films DeMille made leading up to it. Cecil's brother, William DeMille, was also a director, and he wrote a book, and in it he discussed his brother's ability to direct two pictures simultaneously. The book is called Hollywood Saga, and he says, CB, with his usual audacity, determined to direct both pictures at once with two entirely separate production units. This he did by shooting the cheat by day and the golden chance by night, a feat unique in motion picture history. He finished both pictures on time, and both were outstanding hits of that year. He doesn't mention how he found the time to direct Temptation in time to have it come out the same day as The Golden Chance, but who knows? The Golden Chance stars Cleo Ridgely as Mary Denby. She's the daughter of a judge who married below her station to disastrous results. Now she's trapped in a tenement with a husband who splits his time between committing crimes and drinking away all the money he makes from committing them. She's desperate for money to feed the two of them, so she responds to a help-wanted ad and is hired as a seamstress for the wealthy Hillary family. Mrs. Hillary immediately recognizes Mary as a woman of a good upbringing and is shocked when Mary tells her where she lives, because she can tell from the address that she lives in a rough part of town. Nonetheless, she puts her to work mending her clothes. It's all for naught, because when Mary gets home that night, Steve, the no-good husband, takes the money she earns and goes out drinking. Meanwhile, the Hillary family has problems of its own. Mr. Hillary is trying to convince the dashing Roger Manning, a young millionaire played by the budding star Wallace Reed, who I last saw in a small part in The Birth of a Nation, to go 50-50 on a million-dollar investment. Manning is interested, but he can't invest because he's leaving town the next morning. When Mr. Hillary complains about the situation to his wife, she comes up with an idea and asks Roger, 
eligible bachelor that he is, if he'd like to stay for dinner and meet, quote, the most beautiful girl in the world. Of course he would, but the plan seems foiled when the beautiful girl has to cancel. What can she do? A scheme is hatched, and she dresses Mary up in her own nice clothing and her jewels and passes her off as a single woman. Roger is very interested, and the two spend the entire evening chatting. The plan seems to have failed when Roger says he's still planning to leave the next morning. In a last-ditch Hail Mary, the cunning Mrs. Hillary tells him, That's too bad. Mary is spending the weekend here, and we thought you might want to do the same. Now our millionaire is hooked. He decides to stay for the weekend. But Mary has to explain to Steve. So she goes home and tells him she has to do a three-day-long laundry project in Newark. He buys it, and off she goes. Back at the mansion, the plan works. Manning has stuck around so he can spend more time with Mary, and he decides to invest with Mr. Hillary while he's at it. Manning even proposes to Hillary, who of course says no, though offers no explanation. While he broods by the fire in this gorgeous shot, one of the best single shots I've seen in a film so far, the light of the flame is casting flickering shadows on Reed's face as the smoke from his cigarette swirls about him. Mary goes upstairs and despairs and she thinks about her husband, she thinks about the millionaire she's met, and she's just despite, beside herself with sorrow. She's in love with Manning, but she knows she can't pursue a relationship because she's married. Meanwhile, in a coincidence one only finds in the silent era, Steve's partner in crime, Jimmy the Rat, says, word around town is there's a girl wearing expensive jewelry at the Hillary Mansion, so they plan to rob the house that night. He climbs in the window, starts pilfering jewels, and what does he find but his wife sleeping in the room? She's mortified by the entire situation, so she doesn't really stop him, and he heads downstairs with the loot, but he encounters Manning, who very calmly confronts him and easily disarms him when Steve pulls a gun. The struggle awakens the household, and a tense scene ensues, where Steve reveals to Manning that Mary is his wife, and she denies it. Later, she tells him the truth, but at the time she denies it, the family, first, when Steve goes off to call the police, they accuse her of being the inside man on the job that she planned it out. She says that's not true, but she reminds them, hey, if you pursue this, he's going to find out, he's going to cancel the investment. So they let Steve stage like a fake escape, and they figure if the police come that Manning's going to learn the truth. So Steve is out of there, but that's when Mary comes clean anyway. She tells Manning that she's married, that was her husband. He's appalled, she's crestfallen. She changes back into her rags and wanders out into the night, and she ends up sleeping on a park bench next to a bum. While this is happening, Steve is talking to his buddy Jimmy the Rat, who has a new plan. They've decided they're going to lure Manning to pay a visit to Mary at her home, then blackmail him for having visited a married woman. Ah, the good old days when moral turpitude was still a thing. But of course, the plan doesn't quite work out. They have Mary send a note to Manning telling him to come, but she sneaks don't come onto the back of it. So he shows up prepared. He brings a friend and he says, send for the police if I'm not out in five minutes. Once he's inside, there's this tense scene, really well shot. It's made up entirely or almost entirely of these series of rapid fire close-ups. And then there's a really well-choreographed and well-filmed fight. The camera is up high, 
And sometimes it's almost like watching professional wrestling with people throwing each other and crashing tables. The whole scene is really effective, and it's a huge change of pace from the film up to this point. At the end, Manning is more or less winning, but then he gets conked on the head just as the police show up, so you're not sure how the fight would have turned out. Steve tries to escape through the window, but he's shot by the police and falls to his death. The film ends with a bloodied but victorious Manning comforting Mary, in whom he still feels interested, and she turns her gaze away as if unsure what to do. I'd like to think they end up together, but we never find out for sure. That's how it ends. The film is great. It shot really well. This is like a huge step up in terms of camera work, lighting. DeMille really knew what he was doing. Wallace Reed is spectacular. He would soon become one of the biggest stars of the late teens and the early 20s, and the appeal is evident here. When he encounters Horace B. Carpenter, that's Steve, coming downstairs after the robbery, he's coolness personified. Steve McQueen couldn't have played that scene any better. Reed died in 1923 from a morphine addiction, which is a tragic loss of life and a devastating blow to cinema. Cleo Ridgely is really good for her role. She isn't a stunning beauty, but she has this cuteness to her that makes her very believable as a girl who grew up wealthy but has been beaten down by life after marrying Steve. Her acting can be a little one-note. She spends a lot of time giving these blank stares into the camera, but somehow it works. As Steve, Horace B. Carpenter, is maybe a little bit too evil. We never really get to see a side of him that could have wooed a judge's daughter away from her life of luxury and into the slums. This may have been intentional, as DeMille needed to give audiences a firm reason to tolerate Mary's quasi-infidelity and eventual potential pairing off with Manning. So maybe they couldn't show him as being anything but evil. Ernest Joy and Edith Chapman are Mr. and Mrs. Hillary. They're quite good. They give a real good balance of kindness with opportunism to their performances. They aren't evil, but they aren't nice. They just, they want their way and they don't mind maybe trampling people a little bit to get it. I saw a couple reviews in some books I have. Uh, One from W. Stephen Bush in The Moving Picture World from January 8, 1916, wrote, Never before have the lighting effects been used to such marvelous advantage. The highly critical spectators who saw the first display of the film were betrayed into loud approval by the many and novel effects. If paintings in a Rembrandt gallery or a set of Titians and Tintorettos were mysteriously transferred to the moving picture screen, the effect could have not been more startling. In another review from January 29th of 1916, published in the New York Dramatic Mirror, they sing similar praises. Quote, The master hand of Cecil B. DeMille is evident throughout the whole picture. His is the bigness of vision that can see and appreciate the value and importance of little things. And it is the attention to seemingly inconsequential details that makes the golden chance a big, gripping human picture. That's exactly how I feel. DeMille really has an eye for everything on the screen, and even these minor little things have an impact because of the way he shoots the film. The Golden Chance is available on a DVD. It's paired with another DeMille film, Don't Change Your Husband, which I'm going to watch later in the project. I've linked the picture of the DVD below to where you can buy it if you want to buy a copy. It's also available on YouTube, and I've linked that below too. Next, 
I'm watching Civilization from 1915, directed by Reginald Barker, Thomas H. Ince, and Raymond B. West. <laughs>